Welcome to Fast Asleep, listeners. Thanks for being with us again. If you're here now, hopefully that means you've already heard the first half of another John Steinbeck short story. And you will hear the conclusion of that story in this episode. Now, if you go all the way back to our very first episodes, the very first episodes of Fast Asleep, you will find The Red Pony and Junius Maltby, all by John Steinbeck. And in those episodes, we learned about John Steinbeck's beginning. Uh, Most recently, we learned about his ending. But, but, did you know John had two sons from his second of three marriages, And those two boys traveled widely with their father whenever they were not in school. They traveled throughout Europe and North Africa. You see, unfortunately, their mother was an alcoholic and very, very difficult for them to deal with. But John had a very good relationship with his sons. Why, they even gave him an eight and a half or nine on a ten-point father scale. (laughs) Okay. We're ready to finish the story. May I say that there, there is an interesting ending and I hope you will listen carefully because it's a happy ending. It's there. Just maybe play it back and listen. I think you'll catch it. All right, are you ready? Let's tuck in and enjoy John Steinbeck's Pat Humbert's Pat was 40 years old when the Monroes came into the valley. Oh, he welcomed them as his neighbors. Here was another house to which he might go to pass an evening. And since Bert Monroe was a friendly man, he liked to have Pat drop in to visit. Oh, Pat was a good farmer. Bert often asked his advice. Pat did not take very careful notice of May Monroe. Oh, except to see and to forget that she was a pretty girl. He did not often think of people as individuals, but rather as antidotes for the poison of his loneliness, as escapes from the imprisoned ghosts. One afternoon, when the summer was dawning, Pat worked among his berry vines He kneeled between the rows of vines and dug among the berry roots with a hoe. The berries were fast forming now, and the leaves were pale green and lovely. Pat worked slowly down the row. He was contented with the work, and he did not dread the coming night, for he was to have supper at the Monroe house that night. As he worked, he heard voices from the road. Although he was concealed among the vines, he knew from the tones that Mrs. Monroe and her daughter May were strolling by his house. And suddenly, he heard May exclaim with pleasure, Mama, look at that! Pat ceased his work to listen. Did you ever see such a beautiful rose in your life, Mama? It's pretty all right, Mrs. Monroe said. Well, I've just thought what it reminds me of, May continued. 
Do you remember the postcard of that lovely house in Vermont? Uncle Keller sent it. Oh, this house with the rose over it. Why, it looks just like that house in the picture. Oh, I'd like to see the inside of it. <laughs> well, there isn't much chance of that. Mrs. Allen says no one in the valley has been in that house since, well, Pat's father and mother died. That's uh, ten years ago. She didn't say whether it was pretty. With a rose like that on the outside, the inside must be pretty. Oh, I wonder if Mr. Humbert will let me see it sometime. The two women walked on out of hearing. When they were gone, Pat stood up and looked at the great rose. Well, he had never seen how beautiful it was. A haystack of green leaves and nearly covered with white roses. Huh, it is pretty, he said. It's like a nice house in Vermont. It's like a Vermont house. And, well, it is pretty, a pretty bush. Then, as though he had seen through the bush and through the wall, a vision of the parlor came to him. He went quickly back to his work among the berries, struggling to put the house out of his mind. But May's words came back to him over and over again. Oh, it must be pretty inside. Pat wondered what a Vermont house looked like inside. Now John Whiteside's solid and grand house he knew, and well, with the rest of the valley, he had admired the plush comfort of Bert Monroe's house, but a pretty house? Hmm. He had never seen I mean, that is, a, the house he could really call pretty. In his mind, he went over all the houses he knew, and not one of them was what May must have meant. He remembered a picture in a magazine, a room with a polished floor and white woodwork and a staircase. Oh, it might have been Mount Vernon. That picture had impressed him. Perhaps that was what May meant. He wished he could see the postcard of the Vermont house, but, oh, well, if he asked to see it, they would know he'd been listening. As he thought of it, Pat became obsessed with the desire to see a pretty house that looked like this. He put his hoe away and walked in front of his house. Well, truly, the rose was marvelous. It dropped a canopy over the porch, hung awnings of white stars, over the closed windows. Pat wondered why he had never noticed it before. And that night, he did something he couldn't have contemplated before. At the Monroe door, he broke an engagement to spend an evening in company. Yeah, there's some business in Salinas I've got to attend to, he explained. I, I stand to lose some money if I don't go right in. And in Salinas, he went straight to the public library. Have you got any pictures of Vermont houses? Pretty ones, he asked the librarian. Oh, well, you'll probably find some in the magazines. Come, I'll show you where to look. 
They had to warn him when the library was about to close. He had found pictures of interiors, but of interiors he had never imagined. The rooms were built on a plan. Each decoration, each piece of furniture, even the floors and walls were related, were a part of the plan. Oh, some deep and instinctive feeling in him for arrangement, for color and line, had responded to those pictures. He hadn't known rooms could be like that, all in one piece. Every room he had ever seen was, uh, well, the, the result of a gradual and accidental accumulation. Uh, Aunt Sophie sent a vase father bought a chair. They put a stove in the fireplace because it threw more heat. The Sperry Flower Company issued a big calendar and mother had its picture framed. A mail order house advertised a new kind of lamp. That, that was the way rooms were assembled. But in the pictures, someone had an idea and Everything in the room was a part of the idea. Just before the library closed, he came upon two pictures side by side. One showed a room like those he knew, and right beside it was another picture of the same room with all the clutter gone and with the idea in it. It didn't look like the same place at all. For the first time in his life, Pat was anxious to go home. He wanted to lie in his bed and to think, for a strange new idea was squirming into being in the back of his mind. Well, Pat could not sleep that night. His head was too full of plans. Once he got up and lighted the lamp to look in his bank book. A little before daylight, he dressed and cooked his breakfast, and while he ate, his eyes wandered again and again to the locked door. There was a light of malicious joy in his eyes. Mm, it'll be dark in there, he said. I better rip open the shutters before I go in there. When the daylight came at last, he took a crowbar and walked around the house, tearing open the nailed shutters as he went. The parlor windows, well, he did not touch, for he didn't want to disturb the rose bush. Finally, he went back into the kitchen and stood before the locked door. For a moment, the old vision mm -hmm, stopped him. Ah, but it will be just for a minute, he argued. I'll start in tearing it to pieces right away. The crowbar poised and crashed on the lock. The door sprang open, prying miserably on its dry hinges, and the horrible room lay before him. The air was foggy with cobwebs. A musty, ancient odor flowed through the door. Mm, there were the two rocking chairs on either side of the rusty stove, 
and even through the dust he could see the little hollows in their cushions. But these were not the terrible things. Pat knew where lay the center of his fears. He walked rapidly through the room, brushing the cobwebs from his eyes as he went. The parlor was still dark, for its shutters were closed. Pat didn't have to grope for the table. He knew exactly where it was. Hadn't it haunted him for ten years? He picked up table and Bible together, ran out through the kitchen, and hurled them into the yard. Now, he could go more slowly. The fear was gone. Oh, the windows were stuck so hard that he had to use the bar to pry them open. First, the rocking chairs went out, rolling and jumping when they hit the ground, and then the pictures, the ornaments from the mantel, the stuffed Orioles, and when the movable furniture, the clothing, the rugs and vases were scattered about under the windows, Pat ripped up the carpets and crammed them out too. Finally, he brought buckets of water and splashed the walls and ceilings thoroughly. <laughs> the work was an intense pleasure to him. He tried to break the legs from the chairs when he threw them out. While the water was soaking into the old dark wallpaper, he collected all of the furniture from under the windows, piled it up, and set fire to it. Old musty fabrics and varnished woods uh, smoldered sullenly and threw out a foul stench of dust and dampness. Only when a bucket of kerosene was thrown over the pile did the flame leap up. The tables and chairs cracked as they released their ghosts into the fire. Pat surveyed the pile joyfully. <laughs> ah, you would sit in there all these years, wouldn't you? You thought I'd never get up the guts to burn you. Well, I just wish you could be around to see what I'm going to do, you rotten, stinking trash. Well, the green carpets burned through and left red, flaky coals. Old vases and jars cracked to pieces in the heat. Pat could hear the sizzle of menthol latum and painkiller gushing from containers and boiling into the fire. He felt that he was presiding at the death of his enemy. Only when the pile had burned down to coals did he leave it. The walls were soaked thoroughly by now so that the wallpaper peeled off in long, broad ribbons. That afternoon, Pat drove into Salinas and bought all the magazines on house decoration he could find. In the evening after dinner, he searched the pages through. At last, in one of the magazines, he found the perfect room. 
There had been a question about some of the others. There was none about this one. And he could make it quite easily. With the partition between the sitting room and the parlor torn out, he would have a room 30 feet long and 15 feet wide. The windows must be made wide, the fireplace enlarged, and the floor sandpapered, stained, and polished. Pat knew he could do all these things. His hands ached to be at work. Tomorrow I'll start, he said. Then another thought stopped him. Oh, she she thinks it's pretty now. I can't very well let her know I'm doing it now. Why, she'd know I heard her say that about the Vermont house. I can't let people know I'm doing it. Well, they'd ask why I'm doing it. He wondered why he was doing it. Ah, it's none of their darn business why, he explained to himself. I don't go around telling people why. I've, I've got my reasons. By God, I'll, I'll do it at night. Pat laughed softly to himself. The idea of secretly changing his house delighted him. He could work here alone and no one would know. And then when it was all finished, he could invite a few people in and pretend it was always that way. Nobody would remember how it was 10 years ago. This was the way he ordered his life. During the day, he worked on the farm. And at night, rushed into the house with a feeling of joy. The picture of the completed room was tacked up in the kitchen. Well, Pat looked at it 20 times a day. While he was building window seats, putting up the French gray paper, coating the woodwork with cream-colored enamel, he could see that the completed room was there before him. When he needed supplies, he drove to Salinas late in the evening and brought back his materials after dark. He worked until midnight and went to bed breathlessly happy. Well, the people of the valley, they missed him from their gatherings. At the store, they questioned him, but he had his excuse ready. Oh, yeah, I'm taking one of those mail courses, he explained. I'm studying at night. The men smiled. Ah, loneliness was too much for a man. They knew bachelors on farms always got a little queer sooner or later. What are you studying, Pat? Huh? What? Oh, uh, I'm taking some lessons in... um, building. Well, you ought to get married, Pat. You're getting along in years. Oh, Pat blushed furiously. Ha! Don't be a damn fool, he said. As he worked on the room, Pat was developing a little play, and it went like this. The room was finished, and the furniture in place. The fire burned redly, the lamps threw misty reflections on the polished floor and on the shiny furniture. I'll go to her house and I'll say offhand, hey, I 
I hear you like Vermont houses. Oh, wait, no, no, I can't say that. I'll say, um, do you like Vermont houses? Well, I've got a room that's, uh, well, kind of like a Vermont room. Well, the preliminaries were never quite satisfactory. He couldn't come on the perfect way for in enticing her into his house. He ended by skipping that part. He could think it out later. Well, anyway, now she was entering the kitchen and the kitchen wouldn't be changed for that would make the other room a bigger surprise. She would stand in front of the door and he would reach around her and just throw it open. And there was the room, rather dark, but full of dark light, really. The fire flowed up like a broad stream and the lamps reflected on the floor. You could make out the glazed chintz hangings, oh, and the fat tiger of the overmantle hooked rug. The pewter glowed with a restrained richness. Ah, it was all so warm and snug. Pat's chest contracted with delight. Anyway, she was standing in the door and, well, what would she say? Well, if she felt the way he did, maybe she wouldn't say anything. She might feel almost like crying. That was peculiar. The good full feeling as though you were about to cry. Maybe she'd stand there for a minute or two just looking and then Pat would say, won't you come in and sit for a while? And well, of course, that would break the spell and she would begin talking about the room in kind of funny, choked sentences. But Pat would be offhand about it all. Yes, I, uh, I always kind of liked it, he said. And he said this out loud as he worked. Yeah, I, I always thought it was kind of nice. It, it came to me the other day that, well, you might like to see it. And the play ended this way. May sat in the wing-back chair in front of the fire. Her plump, pretty hands lay in her lap. As she sat there, a far-away look came into her eyes. And Pat, well, he, he never went any farther than that. Well, for at that point, a self-consciousness kind of overcame him. If he went farther, well, it would be like peeking in a window at two people who wanted to be alone. The electric moment, the palpitating moment of the whole thing was when he threw open that door and when she stood on the threshold, just stunned by the beauty of the room. At the end of three months, the room was finished. Pat put the magazine picture in his wallet and went to San Francisco. In the office of a furniture company, he spread his picture on the desk. I want furniture like that, he said. Oh, well, you don't mean originals, of course. Uh, what do you mean, originals? Why, old pieces. Well, you couldn't get them for under $30,000. Oh, Pat's face fell. 
His room seemed to collapse. Oh, I didn't know. Oh, but we can get you good copies of everything here, the manager assured him. Oh, why, of course, yeah, that, that's good, that's fine. How much would the copies cost? A purchasing agent was called in. The three of them went over the articles in the picture, and the manager made a list. Pie crust table, hmm. drop leaf gate leg table, chairs, one Windsor, one rush seat ladder back, one wing back, one fireplace bench, rag rugs, glazed chintz hangings, lamps with frosted globes and crystal pendants, one open-faced cupboard, pictorial bone china, pewter candlesticks and sconces. Well, it'll be around $3,000, Mr. Humbert. Well, Pat frowned with thought. After all, why should he save money? How soon can you send it down? He demanded. While he waited for a notice that the furniture had arrived in Salinas, Pat rubbed the floor until it shone like a dull lake. He walked backward out of the room, erasing his faint footmarks with a polisher. And then at last, the crates arrived at the freight depot. It took four trips to Salinas in his truck to get them. Trips made <laughs> secretly in the night. There was an air of intrigue about the business. Pat uncrated the pieces in the barn. He carried in chairs and tables and with a great many looks at the picture, arranged them in their exact places. That night, the fire flowed up and the frosted lamps reflected on the floor. The fat tiger on the hooked rug over the fireplace seemed to quiver in the dancing flame light. Pat went into the kitchen and closed the door. And then, very slowly, he opened it again and stood looking in. Oh, the room glowed with warmth, with welcoming warmth. The pewter was even richer than he had thought it would be. The plates in the open-faced cupboard caught sparks on their rims. For a moment, Pat stood in the doorway, trying to get the right tone in his voice. I always kind of liked it, he said in his most offhand manner. It just came to me the other day that you might like to see it. He paused. Oh, for a horrible thought had come to him. Why, she can't come here alone. Oh, a girl can't come to a single man's house at night. Oh, people would talk about her. And besides, she wouldn't do it. Mm, he was bitterly disappointed. Well, her mother... We'll have to come with her, but oh, maybe her mother won't get in the way. 
she can stand back here, kind of out of the way. Now that he was ready, a powerful reluctance stopped him. Evening after evening passed while he put off asking her to come. He went through his play until he knew exactly where she would stand, how she would look, what she would say. He had alternative things she might say. A week went by, and still he put off the visit that would bring her to see his room. One afternoon, he built up his courage with layers of will. Well, I can't put it off forever. I'd better go tonight. After dinner, he put on his best suit and set out to walk to the Monroe house. It was only a quarter of a mile away. Now, he wouldn't ask her for tonight. He wanted to have the fire burning and the lamps lighted when she arrived. Oh, the night was cold, very dark. When Pat stumbled in the dust of the road, he thought with dismay how his polished shoes would look. There were a great many lights in the Monroe house. In front of the gate, a number of cars were parked. Oh, it, it, it's a party, Pat said to himself. Well, I'll ask her some other night. I couldn't do it in front of a lot of people. For a moment, he even considered turning back. Oh, it would look funny, though, if I asked her the first time I saw her in months. And she might suspect something. When he entered the house, Bert Monroe grasped him by the hand. Oh, it's Pat Humbert, he shouted. Where have you been keeping yourself, Pat? I, I've been studying at night. Well... It's lucky you came over. I was going to go over to see you tomorrow. You heard the news, of course. Uh, what news? Why, May and Bill Whiteside are going to get married next Saturday. I was going to ask you to help at the wedding. It'll just be a home affair with refreshments afterwards. You used to help at the schoolhouse all the time before you got this studying streak. And he took Pat's arm and tried to lead him down the hall. Oh, the sound of a number of voices came from the room at the end of the hall. Pat resisted firmly. He exerted all his training in the offhand manner. Oh, that's, that's fine, Mr. Monroe. Next Saturday, you say. I'd, I'd be glad to help. Uh, but no, I, I can't stay now. I've got to, um, I've got to uh, run to the store right away. He shook hands again and walked slowly out of the door. In his misery, he wanted to hide, just hide for a while to burrow into some dark place where no one could see him. Well, his way was automatically homeward. The rambling house 
was dark and unutterably dreary when he arrived. Pat, Pat went into the barn and with deliberate steps climbed the short ladder and just lay down in the hay. His mind was shrunken and dry with disappointment. Above all things, he did not want to go into the house. He was afraid. He might lock up that door again. And then in all the years to come, two puzzled spirits would live in the beautiful room and in his kitchen. And Pat would understand how they gazed wistfully into the ghost of a fire. Good night.